Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B guy here. And today, the H1B guy live, October 26th, 2022. Today, I'm going to preview the December 2022 Visa Bulletin and my predictions, as well as discuss options for those who may be experiencing an H1B layoff. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguide.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process, and by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Join the squad. Well, thank you to everyone who's taken time to join me here this afternoon, a little after 3 o'clock on um, Eastern Time here in the U.S. Um, the good news is that this is now the, let's see, third consecutive, fourth consecutive week, um, I believe, for live streams here on the H1B Guy platform. Um, so really appreciate uh, all of your support and checking out these live streams for those of you tuning in live or those of you who do watch those at a later date. Um, like always, you can post any questions or comments that you may have for me um, in the chat section. I'll be sure to get to those towards the end of the stream. I'm probably going to go for roughly about 45 minutes again here this afternoon. Um, so definitely want to uh, to take some time to cover uh, cover a couple of the topics that uh, that, I, that I mentioned earlier, um, previewing the the December visa bulletin, um, as well as uh, talking about options for those that are experiencing H one B layoffs or, or the possibility of of H one B layoffs, and we'll take your uh, your questions and comments. So uh, wanted to jump in last week. During uh, the H-1B Guy Live on October 19th, I, I talked about some very concerning uh, EB-2 data that was shared in a, a lawsuit. And I wanted to piggyback on kind of the previous week where I talked about, um, you know, the possibility of there being final action dates established for EB-2 all chargeability. And, and I think, you know, I discussed that a little bit a few weeks ago, but I do think it's it's relevant again as, um, you know, I'm working through the H-1B guy forecasts, uh, my December uh, 2022 visa bulletin predictions to look back on that section E from the November bulletin. Um, and also try to think about what that means as it impacts uh, other EB2 preferences um, and EB3 preferences as well. And so I think if we go back and look at some of the root cause of, of what possibly could be creating 
this need to establish final action final action dates for the rest of the world for EB2 and all, all chargeability. Uh, there are a few things that I think have happened that have created this domino effect that, that leads us to where we are outside of spillover and processing and unused visas that occurred in, in 2020 and, and 2021. I want to talk about really, I, I think it starts with the change in the H1B lottery. So you may say, hey, uh, Robert, why are you, you saying that a change in the H1B lottery could be a reason for final action dates being established for EB2 and all chargeability? And, and I think it comes back to when you have, you know, 300,000, 400,000, almost 500,000. And we look at the last three years, almost a million registrations um, for, you know, 85,000 spots each year, right? So, you know, what are we, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about a, a little over 250,000 available spots, right? H1Bs that, that would be assigned 85,000 each year. And you have almost a million registrations. I'm, I'm taking out duplicates. I'm not going to factor that into the equation. You may say that should be part of the discussion. But I think if you just look at the sheer numbers and what employers see and what folks like me talk about, 27% possibility, probability of selection. And so I think what that's done is created this necessity um, for individuals in other statuses who may be seeking an H-1B visa, um, who are rest of the world, all chargeability. Um, to have employers go ahead and run perm labor and that perm labor, that certification, we're talking about roughly, you know, a year and a half to have a certified perm labor and, uh, you know, an, an approved I-140, which if your dates are current, you can also file the adjustment of status sort of sim simultaneously. And, and I think that it comes back to this demand for H-1B visas through this electronic selection and how it's, it's really forced employers to look at things a little bit differently. Yeah, $10 non-refundable registration fee, but 27% probability. And in the advanced degree category, that probability is even lower. Uh, even lower in the advanced degree category. I just take the 85,000 and, you know, 483,000, say 27% probability. But when you break down the numbers, it, it the odds actually look a little bit different specifically for advanced degree. So you say, if I have a, a, a an individual working for me that is on um, an EAD OPT and is from uh, Brazil, for example, and working for me in STEM, um, that EAD OPT and, and STEM could be valid for up to 36 months. But if I can run perm labor in 18 months and have them change statuses from this EAD OPT, this F1 status uh, into, um, you know, EAD green card and potentially looking at, at uh, a green card, it really changes how the number usage then starts to be created um, in, in, in totality for, for all chargeability for, for rest of the world. So I think the H-1B lottery selection, which has created in turn employers to look at other statuses. And as I, I used um, EAD OPT as an example, F1, but you also have J's out there and L's out there that are in alternate statuses outside of H-1B status 
that possibly could be rest of world that are having perm labor filed certified. Um, if we go back and look at, you know, I covered some of the, the I-140 approval numbers um, from that, you know, through halfway through 2021, it was, it was well over 60,000 um, in total for, for EB2. And so I think that as well as the brutal backlog for Indian nationals and, and Chinese nationals that say, hey, you know, I possibly could look at an alternate EB2, right? This, um, you know, EB2 NIW, for example, and changing those, those statuses, right? filing under this EB2 NIW versus just the traditional EB2 or, or EB3 and those numbers being counted against a head, right? And so I, I think that if you look at kind of that in conjunction with the electronic lottery selection and how employers are looking at uh, all chargeability individuals from the rest of the world differently and knowing what their options are, um, I think if you kind of take all of that and and look at it from a, a pretty holistic view, specifically what was discussed in Section E, the lack of movement that happened in the November Visa Bulletin, um, it starts to paint a, a pretty grim picture for December. And that tells me that probably most likely no movement for EB2 for India, China possibly minimal movement in EB3. Again, I haven't seen the full sort of number um, that are considered sort of in, in pending, those I-485s that are pending. Um, but I did think, you know, kind of going back in November, we'd see 30 or 45 day, uh, maybe even up to two month sort of incremental forward movement in EB3 and then maybe a pause in kind of the middle of the year. But we saw no movement in November for EB2 or EB3 categories. And then the mention of possibly final action being established for all, all chargeability. It also leads me to believe that if that's the case, um, the EB3 for uh, rest of the world, all, all chargeability final action dates could possibly be established as well. Um, I just feel like those those most likely will go hand in, in hand. Um, I, I think if they're going to establish EB2, the, there's a, a pretty high probability that they will establish EB3 all chargeability final action dates. Um, I'm not basing that off of anything other than just sort of a hunch. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, that 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 is absolutely uh, a possibility. I don't know if we'll see these final action dates be established. Um, starting with the December visa bulletin, or maybe if it's something that pushes into January and they just want to kind of hold everything current as they continue to get a count of, of what the number um, demand is going to be for the rest of, of fiscal year 2023. Uh, but right now, as we look at, hey, what does all of this mean? And kind of can you close it out and make your point on um previewing the December 2022 visa bulletin. And, and, and that's, expect pretty minimal movement. I expect EB1 to, to, to remain current. Um, I don't expect movement in, in EB2 uh, across all categories. Um, and I'm still sort of torn where EB3 for India and China, will, will it have any sort of movement? You know, will it move at least by a month, kind of inching forward these, these dates? 
um, considering that that those dates were moved so far in advance in 2021, um, calendar year 2021, fiscal year, you know, heading into to 2022. Um, so we'll continue to, to, to really kind of look at these numbers holistically. Um, of course, next Tuesday, I'll be putting out the H-1B guy forecasts, uh, the December 2022 visa bullets and predictions. Um but for right now, you know, ultimately, I think it's it's going to be, an, again, another sort of disappointing copy and paste type bulletin, uh, EB1 remaining current, minimal movement, if, if any, um, probably not any really likely in EB2. And then po- with the possibility of, of rest of world final action dates being established, um, looking at EB3, it could be the one preference we see move and if it does you know is that is that somewhere around um you know 30 days 30 to 45 days of of movement uh and then of course eb4 right your mexico now we have final action dates that have been established um and dates of filing that have been established for mexico and ones that continue for el salvador guatemala and honduras i think those will remain um and then we've got to watch the philippines Right. Um, seeing a lot of number usage and demand from the Philippines. So uh, kind of continuing to monitor as these these final action dates are established, what what this means in totality kind of across that hundred and forty thousand or, or two hundred thousand that are going to be made available. Uh, so I wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already, please like this video. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and click the bell for notifications. So that you're notified anytime we go live, like we have here today on October the 26th, 2022, a little after 3 p.m. Eastern. If you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so currently through the Super Chat function here on YouTube. Or if you're watching or listening to this at a later date, you can do so through the Super Thanks feature. Um, if you are looking for ways to help produce the H1B Guy, um, you can do so also through the video description below. There's, there's a few ways that you can help produce the H1B Guy platform. Um, any contributions are reinvested back into the technology um, that help makes this engine go. If you haven't checked out the h1bguy.com, I uh, would like to ask you to do that. Of course, it's a very basic blog, but there is over two years of content now available on the h1bguy.com, uh, ranging from visa bulletin predictions to weekly news updates. Um, to really taking further dives and insights into the data, approvals, and analytics around H-1Bs and I-140s. Um, so please check out the website if you haven't already. Um, I know I generally save this until the end of the streams, but please connect with me, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter. Um, there is an H-1B Guy Facebook page, uh, an Instagram. I have an Instagram profile for the H-1B Guy. Um, and also a Telegram channel that has well over 130, I believe, um, individuals and members in, in, in that community as well. So thank you all for your continued support. I really appreciate it. I see a lot of your questions and comments. Please continue to post those in the chat. Um, I will be sure to get to those. But I want to spend um, next really kind of five, eight minutes here uh, talking about a blog post from my friend Sophie Alcorn um, that went 
viral. So her Dear Sophie column that is weekly on TechCrunch and also she shares on her blog. And, and I think you can also catch it on Medium. Um, and I'll put the link in the description. I haven't included it yet as a source, but I will put that in there. Um, but the post was titled, Dear Sophie, how can I protect my H-1B and green card if I'm, I'm laid off? And how can my startup hire laid off people on H-1B? But I really wanted to spend some time talking about options for H-1B layoffs. And, you know, this is something that comes up, right? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, as we continue to see, you know, just this week, thousands of cuts being being mentioned. But we look at where tech unemployment still is, and, and it's a little under 2%. Demand in IT continues to, to remain extremely high. We've seen some big tech sort of cutting back some of their hiring and shifting. But again, when we talk about big tech as a whole, we're not necessarily talking about the the, the tech, the IT piece of, of it. And so a lot of what we talk about on this channel is STEM-related, technology-related, and, and driven. Um, and so I, I thought that this was an, an interesting question. And um, I've covered... Uh, other Dear Sophie columns where she's talked about concurrent H-1Bs for startups and um, also for um, ownership, right? Where, you know, you, you, you own 49%, but it's a concurrent H-1B. You're still working full-time for another employer, but have, excuse me, your concurrent H-1B um, as part of your, your startup. And so, you know, I think her point here is, is very interesting and she brings up concurrent H-1Bs as kind of a plan B for individuals that are living and working in the U.S. on H-1B who may have some uncertainty, the possibility of being laid off. And so really, I think her point is identifying a second company that is willing to bring you on in a part-time basis, rate, all of those sort of things negotiated, um, understands that you're working full-time for another employer and is also, you know, sort of willing to, to kind of go through this concurrent H-1B petition. Um, need to have an excellent immigration attorney like Sophie, you know, as an example, um, to help you walk through this. But really, um, the biggest benefit of having this concurrent H-1B in place uh, is that if you are impacted by a layoff in your first your first job or your, your, your primary employer, your primary H1B, um, instead of having two months or this, you know, the 60 day period from the date of your last pay stub, right? 60 day period from the date of your last pay stub, um, your, your second H1B, your concurrent H1B, um, is still in effect and you're still in status and you can continue to work in sort of this part-time basis, um, while you, you really look for another full-time job or even possibly increase your hours in, in the concurrent, the, the part-time role. And I think that this is an option that really isn't talked about a whole lot because it's, it's, a, it's a little bit confusing and you need to have a, a really good um, you know, immigration attorney who, who knows what they're doing, who understands uh, the appropriate filings here for concurrent H-1Bs. But I think this gives you protections. This gives you protections from that 60-day, you know, maximum um, where you, you, you have to maintain employment uh, 
I've seen H-1Bs impacted by layoffs recently, but I've also seen them moving very quickly and other companies really just quote unquote, snatching them up, if you will. Um, but it does go on to, you know, talk a little bit about startups who may be looking to hire H-1Bs kind of based on market conditions. Um, and I will tell you that I have a couple of startup clients that I've worked with very closely as they've gone through uh, their talent acquisition demands, specifically in very high tech app dev type roles um, and bringing on H-1B transfers, change of employers um, and, and holding H-1Bs as, as part of their overall employment employee um, and, and using that as uh, uh, really a mechanism to to, to grow their staff uh, versus doing that through kind of contingency uh, contract basis. And I think that's very interesting, but it, it, the thing that doesn't change here is anytime you're looking to attract an H-1B visa, they're looking for stability, generally full-time permanent employment, um, excellent pay scale, and some sort of path to permanent residency, green card sponsorship, right? And so we've talked about that a good bit. Those are things that, to me, continue to be um, really motivators for individuals who are on a green card, living and working here in the U.S. who may be considering making a move. Those are generally some of the motivators that, that we see. But I will tell you, this concurrent H-1B visa um, still is what I would call a bit of an unknown um, in the immigrant community. We're hearing it more and more creative immigration attorneys like Sophie are finding ways um, to work within the parameters to keep everything um, what I would call above board, right, um, within the, the letter of the law. And I, I think that this is just a, um, a, a great idea. And, and if you can find an employer who understands you're working full time, but you want to lend some part time, they're willing to go through that concurrent. It's a great option. Um, I know a handful of individuals who are currently in this concurrent status, and, and I think it's a great option. And so it is something that I will actively promote. It's one of the few times that H-1B employees actually have an option, individuals, meaning H-1B employees, individuals living and working here in the U.S. It's, a, it's an option that you do have outside of some of the other Plan B options, which we talk about, right? Sedesis and Path to Canada, Mob Squad. Um, using GTS Express Entry to, to Global Park and, and go to Canada. Um, but what do you think? Anyone out there that is watching or, or listening to this on a concurrent H-1B visa, how's that worked out for you? Um, I'd be curious to know how many hours are you averaging on that concurrent H on that for that second employer? Um, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from you and, and a little bit about your story. Uh, but with that being said, I am going to move into... The, uh, the Q&A portion of today's live stream. Uh, but before we do so, just want to ask you again, please like this video. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live, like we have here today on October the 26th, 2022, a little after 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so currently through the super thanks function. Um, if I answer one of your questions and you love my answer or you hate my answer, let me know. Um, show me your support, please. Would uh, appreciate the acknowledgement and uh, definitely going to jump into these questions or comments here. But if you're watching or listening to this at a later date, you can also support um, this platform 
uh, via the super thanks function, or also um, there are ways to do so in the video descriptions below. So let's jump into the Q&A here. Uh, Manas Raman asked, hi, when do next year's H-1B start? Uh, so I'm assuming you're asking me about the lottery and when that portal will start. It starts now. Um, employers are starting to collect names of individuals that they're going to want to put into the registration, may already be working for a U.S.-based employer. You may be seeking H-1B employment here in the U.S., um, but it starts now. It's crazy to think about. But, um, you know, ultimately what what you want to have from a timeline perspective, and I'm going to continue to cover this more kind of throughout the end of the year and definitely hitting it very hard in, in January. Um, but but that is uh, you need to really have everything sort of finalized by mid-February. Because I anticipate that the lottery will open the very beginning of March and probably close sometime in that second or, or third week of March. And so you've got to be very proactive in your approach to kind of walking through this and having an employer who has done registrations in the past and uh, quite honestly knows, you know, what, what they're doing. Uh, if we look at, Hey, where does March first fall in the calendar? Well, it's actually on a Wednesday this year. And when we look at, you know, what does that mean? You know, it, again, it could go through the 24th. They, if they wanted to start on a Monday, that would be most likely March the 6th. And they would run that through the 24th or 25th. Um, April 1st is on a Saturday this year. Uh, so that means that, you know, most likely starting April 3rd is when applications will begin to be received. But my assumption is March 1st through the 6th is most likely when that electronic portal will open. Um, and then it's most likely going to close sometime around the 24th and then begin accepting applications starting on April 1st. Narav says, I hope government can increase the cap someday. I don't understand how USCIS uh, cannot see the exponential increase. Um, I'm assuming you're referring to the annual employment-based green card cap. That's that 140000 annually, 9800 per country is the 7% the max. Um They might increase the cap, but I, I would prefer that they remove the percentage on country caps. So when you say cap, I think about 140,000 that are available annually across all countries in, in the world. Um, but when I say cap, I'm really referring to that 7% cap that's put on country of origin um, or 9,800 per country annually for employment-based preferences. Hey, Arun, how are you? Uh, can April 6, 2012 EB2 become current in the next three months? Um, Arun, I'm not hopeful for that for final action. 
because that would be December, January, February. Um, I just, I, I'm not confident and I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but right now I'm not confident that you're going to see any forward movement for EB2 for India for the foreseeable future. Uh, what do I mean by foreseeable future? Well, if we go back to that, what I talked about concerning EB2 data from last week, where it's basically there's 40,000 plus uh, I-485s pending for a little over 4,000 um, EB2 I4 uh, EB2 uh, preferences available. Um, that's a pretty significant gap, 36,000 plus gap. And so this is where we're kind of caught in. And I, I, I don't think in the next three months it'll be current. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I do foresee there being some movement, maybe kind of similar to what happened with EB3 last year that could happen um, spring, summer time frame. Uh, Sam asks, how do I think priority date April 2013 EB2 will be current again in fiscal year 2023? I, I, as of right now, I do not. Um, I, I just don't see a full year of forward movement in EB2 based on that very concerning data that I shared with everyone last week. Um, not being negative, just being realistic. And I think that when we start to look at, um, I don't think April 6, 2012 is going to be current in the next three months. I definitely don't think a full year of movement is going to happen um, by the end of the fiscal year either. Uh, again, kind of comparing it back at max, we may see three or four months of movement that happens by the very end of the fiscal year, but I could be wrong on that. Um, and minimal movement going into to, to fiscal year 2024, which is crazy. We're already talking about that, and it's not even the end of October. Hey, Mateo, uh, do you know if you can apply to Diversity Green Card Lottery if you're currently an F1 student? I don't think that you can. I would have to go back and look at um, the qualifications. Um a few weeks ago, I did cover the diversity visa lottery for 2024 opening. Um, and in that, I shared a link um, as part of, of my source. And that website, Mateo, is uh, dv-lottery.us. And I believe that it has the qualifications there, but I think you have to be outside of the U.S. and you also have to be in, um, you have to be outside of the U.S. and you also have to be uh, in one of the countries that is eligible for DV. Um, I'm not sure your country of origin, but it's worth mentioning that, that there are country restrictions as well. Thanks for tuning in, Mateo. Nice to see you. First time I've seen your name. Really appreciate you finding this channel and joining my live stream. Hey, Bushan, uh, do I think February 2019 PD will ever become current in our lifetime? Or do you think I should resign to the fact that I will never get a green card? Um, 
It's a great question. And one that I'm going to give you an honest answer to. In your lifetime? Yes. But the question becomes February 2019, right? And I've been talking about this kind of 3,800 to 4,000 days um, as kind of overall wait times. And so now it becomes a matter of how patient are you? Because if you look at October or February of 2029, okay, um, seven years, October, September, October of 2029, seven years from now, um, that puts you at that 10 month, or excuse me, 10 years and seven, eight months of wait. Um, so is seven years your lifetime? No, I mean, I, again, uh, but this is also where I tell you if you're on H1B status, you don't want to wait. Um, you're in that 25 to 35 age demographic, Canada. You probably would be a permanent resident there in like three years, maybe four. Um, based on you know all the Canadian immigration experts that I've had on this platform over the last couple of years, uh, that's generally what what they they state. Hey Rami, do uh, I think there will be any horizontal spillover from EB three Road to EB three India this year? No. Why? Well, they're discussing the possibility of EB2 for all chargeability final action dates being established. And I think a domino to that will be there will be, if that happens, EB3 will have final action dates established for all chargeability. All chargeability equals rest of world, bro. And also kind of take into account that overall demand and the flow down, right? And how those things cycle through and up and down. Um, I don't think there will be, but again, if, if there is, and I'm wrong on this, then that's a, a what I would call a pleasant surprise, Remy. Reality facts says I'm currently on F1, have approved H1B. Can I change my status to H1B with other employer, not with H1B petition employer? Uh, if you're in the US, you have automatically changed statuses if you had an approval starting on October 1st. Okay, if it's a new H and it was applied and approved. Um, so you should currently be working for that employer. If you're here in the U.S., and this is my rule of 30. You may say, well, what's the rule of 30, Robert? What do you mean by that? And I've talked about this a lot for any of you who followed me for any length of time. Uh, but you have to be able to provide a pay stub uh, that shows at least 30 days of employment, Right. And so ultimately, that's kind of the, the kicker. 30 is the absolute bare minimum. 
If you're working on H-1B status here in the U.S. for an employer and you want to transfer, change employers, you need to have worked for them for at least 30 days and have a pay stub that you can provide that verifies that because that's a critical component to your evidence. So I would check really quickly to know when was that H-1B approval for? When did it become active? And if you're here in the U.S., um, and you're not working under it, and it started on October 1st, you're 25 days in. Um, okay, gotcha. I see it. H-1B approved in 2021, effective from October 1st. If you're here in the U.S., that clock is ticking. Um, so I would make sure that I, if I'm you, okay, um, I definitely want to work for the employer of record, the end of the, the, the employer who has the H-1B approval um, and work for them for at least 30 days. Make sure that they've paid you and you can provide that pay stub as evidence before you initiate any H-1B change of employer. Hey, Kalyani, uh, any chance to get filing date current in this fiscal year for EB2 priority date, May 2015? Um, no. Not right now. I don't think so. I'm not hopeful. There was just way too much corrective action that happened. Um, we only got to January 2015. Um, in September's bulletin, September 2022 bulletin. So we didn't even get to your May. Um, probably looking at, just being honest, probably another three years for EB2 for May 2015, unless we see some aggressive jumps that happen um, towards the end of this fiscal year or beginning of next year. Sim says, thanks for answering my previous question on EB2 April 2013 PD. Do you think even in future it will become current? Should I start making other plans like moving to Canada, though I have EAD AP? Um, if you're on H1B, how long is it valid for? I'm curious. Because if it's got like a couple of years remaining on it, man, I may ride it out here for a little bit on H1B before I enact this EAD AP. Um, I, I like having the the option to continue working under H-1B, but what will happen is once your status has been pending long enough, you won't be able to file that, that extension on the H-1B. Um, I think it just gives you kind of the best of, of both worlds and options though, Sam. So reality facts, you're saying your H-1B was approved with consulate approval outside of the U.S. You're not on H-1 status. You're currently in F-1 status here in the U.S. Not possible to work with current employer while on F-1 status. Right. So you just, you're going to have to go through the consular processing again to, to change to H-1B status. Um. Unfortunately, you can't do anything with that previously approved H-1B 
uh, unless you work for that employer of record. Doesn't matter even if you wanted to go through consular processing, you can't transfer because it's never been activated. You've never worked a day on it. So you're kind of in a, a limbo spot. What do I mean by that? Well, you need to work for the employer that had the approval and need to work for them for at least 30 days and be able to provide a pay stub before you could file a change of employer, H1B change of employer. You may be able to go the concurrent option, but it's only part-time, kind of as we talked about earlier. So um, if I'm you, I'm going back to the employer who has the approval and trying to figure out what you can do to work for them for a, a minimum period of time. Hey, Vidya. Your PD is July 26, 2012, EB2 India. When can we expect it to be current? Yeah, you're in a funny spot, Vidya. Um, I think the towards the end of the fiscal year, we may see some movement, but I don't really anticipate a whole lot. Um, but if I'm you, I'm intently watching the bulletin starting in like June, July, August, just to see if there's any creep and then know that if there is, you know, September, October, November, you could be close to current because it's what, April 1st, 2012 right now. Uh, so you're talking about you need an August 1st date. So May, June, July. Yeah, you need like four months of movement. Um, that may be October 2023. Which if we look at it, July 26th, 2013, 12, excuse me, 2012, October 1st, 2023, is 4,084 days. So that's kind of what I've been talking about, Vidya, is that 3,800 to 4,000. In terms of calculations, using that as, as my variable. Sam, you said 2023 on the H-1B. Um, it's valid for. Yeah, I would wrap under that H-1B status as long as you can. Um, <laughs> Sam says, I like how you're picking up the questions in order. I wish USCIS would have done the same with our applications in 2022 fiscal year. Yeah, uh, last in, first out versus first in, last out. Or did I get that back? Last in, first out, and, and really first in, last out at this point. But look, Sam, this is not any different than October 2020 for EB3 and those that did the downgrades, right? This is the problem. And this is where it's like, hey, we've seen some of the processing centers take significant steps forward, but Nebraska and Texas continue to have just resource issues. And as I've covered many times, the absolute worst Google ratings out there. So... Thank you all for your questions and comments today. Um, I just can't thank you enough for jumping in on these live streams. Um, I really appreciate all of your support. Uh, love doing these and, and interacting um, with, with all of you.
Um, one last thing from Sam here, and then I'm gonna gonna close this out. So you say uh, your H one's up for renewal in a year from now. Thinking to renew it or just switch on the ADA AP to explore job opportunity has always had a fear of switching. Yes, I'm with you. I would ex I would extend it if you can. I don't know if you can though because there is something to do with um, when you file your I-485. There's like I think a 12 month period. I think a 12 month period. Um, this is where I tell you I'm not an immigration attorney. I don't provide legal advice. You need to ask your immigration attorney on this one. But I, I always, always have always advised my employees always um, to maintain your H-1B status versus going that EADAP route. Now, a lot of folks love the EADAP route. Why? Options, freedom. You can choose who you work for, how much you paid, um, where you work, right? So those are some of the options that that, that EADAP uh, AP grants. Um, so I understand both sides. So I've always erred on utilizing the H1B for as long as you can, um, because it gives you, if, if that, if the H1B were something were to happen with your, your current employer on H1B status, um, you could always fall back to that EADAP. The AP does give you some travel freedoms and not having to go through consulate, uh, appointments. So I see both sides to it. Um, but with that being said, um, did want to let everyone know that today's live stream was brought to you by Sundesis and Pats of Canada. The ideal plan B for high skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Sundesis and Pats of Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. And if you'd like to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below. Someone from Sedesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. By perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you want to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. And also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has the solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa-related uncertainty remain working with our current U.S. company, Nearshore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from around the world who are seeking an opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as six to eight weeks. So whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. Just wanted to ask you again to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, connect with me, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, join our Telegram, join the H1B Guy Telegram channel. Um, check out the H1BGuy.com uh, where there's over two years a uh, library of content um, in a very basic, uh, easy to navigate format. 
Um, if you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for joining my live stream here this afternoon or watching or listening to this uh, at a later date. For those of you who check this out in audio or video format on the H1B Guy podcast, thank you so much for your continued support. I really appreciate it. I'm Robert. I'm the H1B Guy, your global source for all things H1B.